Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo decoded report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestion, endo aligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeka soft gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeka Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. Today, we are joined by Jim White and Ted Daniels from Cannabis Secure. We're going to talk all about security plans for cannabis businesses. But first, we do have to get into the Cannabis News Summary. So, Miggy and Tom, what's going on in cannabis this week? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, 2 p.m. And that's why you're joining us on Cannabis Legalization News. Like and subscribe to everybody. Uh, but, you know, the thing that happened in Illinois was the strangest. Like, they totally punted. And they said, hey, we are not going to hold that lottery. And there's going to be a rescoring. You, you, you mean they actually are trying to make it right? That's great. All right. Yeah, they're trying to make it right. So, like, you know, for example, if your security plan was defective and you didn't get a 10-day notice, uh, we're going to actually give you that notice and, and say, hey, here's what's missing. And so it's, it appears to be like the real cool best thing to do. And then that uh, lawsuit that had like over 70 uh, plaintiffs, that's yeah. been dismissed. And so now they're just going to participate in this, um, this do-over process and this rescoring. If you guys need any help on your rescoring, uh, you, can, you can email me right there at tom at collateralbase.com. Some of you have. And uh, for, for everybody who sticks around to the end, that's when I'll tell you how to uh, make sure that you get your state of Illinois residency points if you were deprived of those. It was a little tricky and it was very confusing. And so I could see how a lot of people, even though they may have lived in Illinois their whole life, didn't get them. Or if they recently moved to Illinois, they didn't get them, but they maybe got them for social equity, which makes no sense. Who's so, man, them? Uh, is, the, grade, is, the grader is KPMG. Okay. Any, any transparency on that at all? Anything going Absolutely on? Absolutely not. Absolutely no transparency. Not. Huh. Of course not. There was zero transparency. That was one of the problems. They just said, here's our winners. Here's our winners. Yeah. No, that's, that's that. Until you get the transparency, you're going to have issues, period. Uh, that's true. That's true. And so the transparency is coming to light, which is great. And then, um, so what else happened in uh, cannabis news? You know, one of the things well, that, oh, go go, you, no, you, cause I got a beef and then you can, you can well, I got, I got something to add to your beef, dude. So like, this isn't right. like stuff you won't catch in the news, but like stuff I see on the internet here, uh, in the subreddit of, uh, hemp, uh, this guy's asking, he said, testing hot, need help. 
And you know, I hate to be callous, and I don't want to be like you're SOL. You know, I I hate to say that. He's not SOL. That's the thing. There's a whole industry of hemp remediation that's out there and trying to make compliance with the law. The problem is, is that, you know, uh, there really isn't a lot of guidance from the feds as to this. There's just the, the very broad definition. And so uh, there was actually a, a lawsuit filed uh, by the National Hemp Industry Association, or I'd have to, I'd have to check, and then another South Carolinian hemp provider of uh, nutraceutical type supplements. Because the problem with hemp is that it's completely legal, but there's a whole bunch of gray in it. Because the thing that they did was they just said the plant, unless it has more than 0.3% Delta 9 THC, which high quality flour, like you get some, uh, if you take care of some train wreck. Oh, and speaking of train wreck, I, I, we get to talk to Ed Rosenthal uh, on, on Sunday, dude. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm excited for that one. Oh my yeah, God. Let's, uh, let's talk all about the, the strains that he helped develop uh, and, and how long he's been growing weed. What's the over-under on that? I'm saying at least 50 years. Oh, man. I don't know. I just know being a young, you know, high times uh, guy. And he was one of the first ones, you know, him and Jorge Fontes. People were putting their self out there and trying to explain how to grow better through high times. I thought that was, you know, it was when it was culture. It was more culture then, too. Well, it was also way more illegal back then. Almost yeah. as legal as hemp once you throw it into the extractor. Because once you've harvested your hemp, let's say it's just that 10-10 hemp. So it's 10% CBD at 10% moisture. Uh, so pretty dry weight. You know, nothing, nothing fancy about that. That's not going to be your flower shelf uh, hemp. Yeah. But it, it'll go to an extractor. And then when they yank that stuff out... That traced amount of THC will go over that line, and it'll be a, a, when you have, when you make goo or crude, as they call it. And so there's a lawsuit on file to try to walk back the D, the DEA's IFR that says if you do that, that's marijuana. Uh, and so if you go over it and it's hot, for example, like that, because the 2018 farm bill is not in effect yet, you can still do the 2014 farm bill. And so then there's some remediators that might come out and, and make sure that it's remediated. And then you test the oil and then the oil is compliant. You can sell that. It, it, again, it still should be like on a ratio basis or something, not this 0.3 delta. It shouldn't be scheduled yes. at all. Yeah. It well, be that's, scheduled at all. You know, yeah, uh, yeah there's that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Hey, and speaking of uh, justice, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, uh, Marijuana revenue might be stripped in Seattle's uh, area sheriff budgets. I'm kind of excited about that one. You know, What's if that? so, uh, you know, like the taxes from the cannabis here in uh, Washington, uh, it gets dispersed, you mm -hmm. know, through budgets. And so they might pull it from the sheriff department's budget. Oh, uh, that happened, it happened in Portland too. And it happened, well, is that what happens in these anarchist states? Oh, it's something crazy out here, dude. Did you hear that the Department of Justice like labeled them anarchist states, which is a thing that doesn't exist, but it's very, very dramatic sounding and conflict invoking. Like they're trying to make you upset about this term. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like Florida can't get more Florida when they say we're going to defund the cities that defund the police. So we're gonna just going to take more money away from you. It, it just makes more no sense. You know, if you're going to be for the people. There's structured and ways to do things. And it's not about getting rid of police, right? Like, I like nice things. I want right. my nice things protected. I want myself. Right. If I die, I hope someone goes out and finds that murderer. But, you know, there's other things that can be helped to reduce the, the toxicity that we have in our in our cities. You That's know? Right. Police and are not the whole, like, uh, 
for example, engendering that conflict and, and stirring that pot and then using money to uh, act as a reward system uh, for, for getting your rights. It's like, oh, no, you're doing that and we don't like it. So we're just not going to fund it. Can you start like not funding the DEA from uh, enforcing the marijuana laws then? How about that? I mean, can we all agree on that? Because that was the other thing that happened uh, before Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. The, the bad news that happened last week was that they weren't going to vote on the Moore Act. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's unfortunate. And, it, and I believe that's a Democrat move, right? Yeah, that was the Democrats. That was just going to be in the House. That was going to be a nothing move. But then I guess it was kind of prescient that it happened in the sense that then Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. And you're like, well, I guess it wouldn't have been you know, right to try to vote for weed then. But still, what do you think about like all those senators that just literally said the opposite thing four years ago? This is why we can't have nice things, dude. That's this is why we say. can't have nice things. Because sometimes you're the only one who cares about the rules. You know, and along those lines, because uh, you remember how I had that 10-year Facebook account? Yeah. You know, you know that was my strong activist. Uh, I was friends with Dennis Perone and all these other people. Well, a friend of the blog or pod, uh, uh, Sarah Frank. You remember Sarah? Uh, no, no, I don't recall. Uh, shit. Uh, she's a big time uh, fighting for uh, children's rights in um, Ohio. Okay. And, uh, and Ohio Hamfest. But uh, the point here is her account got deleted after 10 years and now she's trying to build up. She is a thorn in CPS's ass. That's the only reason why I'm trying to promote her and, and share uh, her profile so people can follow her and like her. Cause uh, I thought we had her on at one time. I guess not. We're going to have to have her have. on. Like the name said, sounded familiar. I think we've done like oh, moms for marijuana. Moms for marijuana. Yep. I, that was one of the, we do a lot of these shows. We, we do. do. There's yeah. a lot of people in in cannabis, right? Not just right. the ones who are activists, but the auxiliary, auxiliary, oh, auxiliary. cannabis brands. And then everybody's got a new cannabis brand. And then so many people want to get into cannabis. And one of the things that we, and then it's, we're going to talk about it on our show uh, later when we have on the security people, uh, the, uh, they want to know how much it costs to get in. And they have this altered perception of how easy it can be to get in as well. And so they don't know that like it could be really, really difficult to try to come by a, a, a cannabis touching license and, and how you can then, you know, and then how cannabis is kind of like healthcare, which is weird. You know, you have like license holder LLCs and then you have all these related entity LLCs that have contracts amongst everybody. Uh, and so it becomes more like uh, healthcare uh, operations. And so like it's it's fairly high corporate stuff because yeah. of the restrictive uh, licensing that's there. And then that can also push up the cost. And they just don't, they don't get it. They just don't want, they, they don't really understand why it's not like just if you wanted to open up a, a donut shop, you know, any other business. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to when you're just a, a young person chilling in the, your couch and you're like, if I could grow this, yeah. I can make so much money. Yeah, And then you're like, I got to figure out how to establish a, a, the, the, the brick and mortar, uh, the loan, uh, the licensing. Uh, you know, it's not just growing a seed for right. uh, the market. No, and that's that's some of the stuff. And so they'll wonder why uh, I say it's going to be so expensive for uh, doing like a craft grow in Illinois. And I'm like, well, you know, the security aspect and also the scope of it alone. I mean, so. How much square footage are you talking about? Well, five thousand at the low end. Well, that's that's kind of a lot, you know, uh, and that can push the price of it up as well. And crazy. Okay. Oh, I know. I was gonna say just to, you know, because our guests are from Pennsylvania. So if Pennsylvania oh. 
grow, you know, if they get that law enforced where the craft grow can, it'll pretty much eliminate a black market, in my opinion. I think uh, the know? micro grower, the 150 yeah. plant, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what they think about the 150 plant. Uh, they don't call it craft; they call it a micro grower license. Mm -hmm. So, like you know, there would be all different levels of security yes. from the micro grower all the way to the master cultivator or something. I imagine it's the difference of laser beams and guard dogs. Nothing. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, let's bring them on. Hey, Jim and Ted, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys, thanks for having us. Uh, can you, how about Jim, you want to tell us a little bit about what you guys got going on at Canna Be Secure? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, thanks for having us. So we're an end-to-end -end security company uh, in the cannabis industry. Uh, we're a nationwide company. So we help clients on the front end um, with their security plans. Uh, we have a very, um, very big uh, detailed security plan to help people with their application. And we're a certified woman-owned business. And um, from there, we, uh, we're, we will be a director on their application as director of security. And then once they get an application or they get the license, we can help them build uh, all the security they need for the business. So, you know, safes, vaults, cameras, door access control, um, um, you know, cybersecurity, basically protecting their patient or their clients um, information is very important. And I think it's a forgotten thing in the industry. So um, that's a little bit about us. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can it, security is definitely a, a needed thing, especially uh, Tom in Illinois. We're going over the application. How big is that section of just security for Illinois, Tom? Oh, it's quite a lot. I mean, the, the security aspect of the plan is very verbose. And so Jim mentioned many of those uh, things that you need to have. And the, the, the aspect of your security plan you really need to remember is like anything else in your cannabis application, it's all a condition. And so the state is using this plan and then they put it all in those regulations as what you must and are required to do. And so in compliance with those, you need certain types of materials in your build outs that are going to be compliant with those. And, and Jim was just mentioning some of them. Uh, Jim, what, what types of things do you often see in these security plans that are required? For example, if you're going to build out a dispensary. Yes, yeah, so we did a number. We did a number of uh, uh, security plans for applicants in, in Illinois. Um, in the last round, the craft grow licenses, you know, one thing, I mean, they limit it to 65 pages. So we build in the, uh, the SOPs, um, in, in our plan, the security operation, um, procedures. And, um, you know, in, in Illinois, it was, you know, if like the transport license, you know, what kind of facility are you going to be housing um, your, your vehicles in that you're going to be transporting product um, from, you know, the dispensary? What's the footprint of the, of the dispensary? Um, you know, the, the roof fabrication, you know, all this stuff is important things. What are the walls constructed of? Um, I mean, Ted, Ted has plenty of stories from his experience in the industry about, you know, somebody just driving through the side of a building, right? They have the front fortified, but they're driving through the side that's a wood substrate structure um, and going in and unloading the product and, and, and backing out and taking off. So, Ted, I'll let you uh, add any commentary onto that as well. So I think I, I think it was said best earlier where, uh, you know, people, you know, they're, that they're sitting home, 
they're smoking and they're like, you know what? This would be great if I could just grow this. Well, there's a lot more involved to it. Uh, you know, like was mentioned, the, the business end, the loans, things of that nature. A, a lot of folks are not security minded. Um, and I'll be the first one to tell you guys, I, I don't know the first thing about growing. And I wouldn't even attempt uh, to grow anything. I'm not even allowed to water the plants at my own house. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with that being said, why is it that a lot of growers try to take the security aspect into things uh, and construct their own security plans and, and set their own security guidelines? Um, I've seen people come through the roof. I've seen the mini malls where they will go into, they will break into the adjacent building and come through the wall into the building. Uh, we've seen the armed robberies, you name it, we've seen it. I, I, I've been in the industry since uh, 2012, uh, operated in Colorado, California, and seven states on the East Coast, uh, operated in Michigan. And, uh, you know, people call it the Wild West, and that's that's exactly what it is. And, and I've seen a lot of people try to shortcut. Um, they cut a lot of corners, you know, getting one of these operations off the ground is very, very, very expensive. We all know yeah. that. And uh, I think that's that's one of the one of the aspects though, where you say shortcut and getting them off the ground, like there's a difference in the license structure between the states. And so uh, in states like in Illinois, where you have this competitive thing, where they put rules, regulations, like this is what we want these facilities to have. And so as you are reading the statute, you're going like, boy, this can't be easy or cheap. And so those must be in there. And, and you get scored on whether or not you're compliant with that. Now, but when in other states, more like your Oklahoma's or your Michigan's, where you can just get a license, uh, where does that compliance come in? Are you already down the road? Have you already been building? Like, you know, so I could just see how there could be more gaps in that respect. Well, and, and, and one of the things, one of the things I try to do, too, is, you know, I, I've won numerous licenses for clients in the competitive states with the security plans. And I always try to go above and beyond what the minimum requirements are. And, you know, if you go above and beyond, everyone else is just looking to do the minimum requirements. But if you take it a step or two further, it, it sets you ahead of the pack as far as the, the scoring. Um, you know, in a lot of states that I've worked in, the security plan is worth up to 30% of your final score for that total application grade. So that's a, that's a big piece. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some States too, you know, they give you, okay, you have 5,000 words or you're only allowed to have 30 pages or whatever the case may be. What I do is I will build out uh, a personalized security plan for that client, for that facility, for that area. You know, one thing a lot of people need to take a look at too, are the local, uh ordinances and regulations i was working on one in ohio where the local ordinance you know your fence had to be over 10 feet so those are things you have to look in there and work in but the other thing i do is i fill out and i construct an sop uh security wise for that facility now what i normally give the client is i will give them a full hundred plate page plus security plan but then a condensed version that will go in the application that covers 
all of the specified application points that the state is requiring. So we have that, then they get the other one, and, it's, and it also includes an SOP, so they don't have to shop afterwards. Um, in some states, when they were getting ready to open, the inspectors would come out, and they'd say, we want to see your SOP. Well, we, we don't have one. So I give that to the client up front. So boom, there you go. There's your SOP. Everything's included. And uh, they're ready to roll. And besides the brick and mortar, you guys are also doing the cybersecurity portion of it, which I just did a video recently where uh, here in Washington, uh, dispensaries are being uh, social engineering hacked, whereas a, uh, a phone call, because, uh, you know, like these Indian scammers who can call you while they're, they're, they're changing the number. It look like your ex-bosses or your lawyer, your law firm. Are you guys doing anything in that sense? The SOP, I would imagine, would help protect against that as far as just handing over money when people walk in. Well, well it does. And, and I'm going to I'm going to turn this over to Jim again. I'm Guys, I'm, I'm not a tech guy. I'm lucky I could even turn my computer on. I'm doing this one from a phone because I couldn't get the right program on my computer to do this. So all the tech stuff. That's Jim's wheelhouse. Um, I'm on the phone a couple times a week with Jim trying to figure stuff out electronically, or I'll just ask my 10-year-old, and he'll explain it to me. But, uh, you know, the tech yeah. stuff is, is Jim's, and, and he can get into that. Yeah, so, you know, as we discussed earlier, I think it's um, something that these dispensary owners um, and, and, and grows, they're not taking serious. Um, and, you know, when we just talked about the expense, right, of, you know, somebody that wants to get in the industry, um, you know, the cost, you know, the cost to the specific state for the application, um, once you get the license, the people you have to hire, and you're just trying to keep the lights on in this industry, especially if you're in a state that's medicinal and not wreck. Um, so I, I think people really discount how important um, cybersecurity is. I mean, you're handling patient information. Um, and Miggy, you just talked, you know, hit the nail on the head. These employees are getting phone calls um, from scammers. They're not experienced. You know, these are young, typically younger kids that it's one of their first jobs. Um, and they're in this retail job and they don't have experience with this. And that's what, you know, so from this, you know, phishing, sending emails, very easy to figure somebody's email out and then infiltrate their systems um, from there. Um, uh, ransomware. Uh, there was a company, um, a company in Michigan that was seventy million dollars. They were being um, ransomed for. Um, they had complete control of their systems. They were going to shut their business down. So it, it happens. And I think as this industry matures, people are going to realize how important it is on the front end. Um, and it's not just the cameras, right? And your door access control. Because in corporate America, um, a lot of cyber crime happens from within, right? Your employees are, are, are getting information, um, relevant information, um, personable, identifiable information on somebody, and they can do anything they want with it, credit card information. So it, it, it's very important. So we actually help companies harden their systems um, and, and you know provide that email security, that web security we do um, risk management or risk assessments for people where we actually train them and their staff on exactly what you just said, Miggy. If you get a phone call and it's a scammer, here's something to be aware of. 
be aware of emails, um, email scams and uh, phishing attacks and, you know, things of that nature. Well, I mean, we talked before, Jim, that you were part of like uh, the uh, IT structure, the networking structure. Um, and most people think if you just keep like your Norton antivirus up to date, that's that's it. But there's yeah. more involved into like the trunking and all the other cyber stuff. So when someone, you know, using the cloud as protection for most people and then, you know, so forth. Uh, yeah, most people don't think about that. Do you guys, is there any other industry that is regulated as much as cannabis, like diamonds, anything? Well, I mean, the healthcare industry, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about, you know, patient information. I, I would equate the cannabis industry, you know, these are considered startups, right? These companies in the cannabis industry. So typically with a startup company, you know, they're not focusing on this stuff, right? But when it comes down to the brass tacks of, you know, I, I read a report, Poneman Institute ran a, re, ran a report, a breach cost the company a minimum of $3 million. After they have to self-report, um, notify their clients, um, credit credit reporting. Um, um, you know, you have to offer those people that were that were part of that breach. You know, and so I would equate this industry to the healthcare industry and the insurance industry and the financial industry that basically take security very seriously. And you know, these large companies are spending you know billions of dollars on on securing their their data and their customers' information. So, um, you know, it, it's really important. Yeah, but that's that's that is so true. And then the costs just continue to go up. And so when I'm trying to explain this to uh, new people that come in that want to open a dispensary, it, it depends on well where. But then it's still even if you have the opportunity to get open, it doesn't mean like the regulations magically part the waters and like the cost becomes cheaper. No, like you still need this is the security plan they require. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you put that in? I mean, you're not going to get your license until after you have the structure picked out. And there's a lot of municipal oversight. Depending on where you are, there might be a lot, a lot of municipal oversight. They say yes or no. And so uh, when you're doing a, a dispensary uh, and the build the, the security build out for a dispensary, your average 2,500 square foot dispensary, how much does that usually cost? So, I mean, it varies, right? So, you know, what's their budget for security is, is really what it boils down to. So, I mean, we represent two different camera companies. One's, you know, a Cadillac of, of, the, of you know, the surveillance camera. And one's like, you know, a lower level, you know, kind of Chevy. And it depends on what, you know, they want to go with. Um, I'm, I'm one of the beliefs that, you know, and you're starting to see states that are really starting to tolerate this more of putting as much in the cloud as possible, as long as you have the right security in place. Um, you know, I think it's a way for these dispensaries that are, again, startups trying to um, save money, but also have the same, you know, the security procedures and, and technology in place. So, you know, we offer cloud video storage um, where private cloud you know, Pennsylvania, you have to store your video for two years um, in there. That's an expensive endeavor. If you, the hardware in your facility, and these people don't have IT secure, IT people, right? So the the way, the more you can simplify it, but also make it secure is is definitely the way to go. And putting right. things in the cloud, you can really get strong return on investment. Um, 
and the web and security also have the technology that you yeah. need. To the, the web the web angle of the security is pretty pretty interesting. If this the threat is the the digital. Uh, because some of the uh, operators now have websites where you can actually put in your your medical forms and order from there. And so, like, is that uh, if you're going to have a website where you can order your medicine subject to HIPAA and you have to be HIPAA compliant on that? And if you do, well, there's other regulations that you need to follow. And and then there's so many best practices that you could be complying with. But uh, it kind of gets away from the traditional concept of like, I have a I have a lock. I have a safe. But what type of safe? I mean, are you seeing a lot of overlap? Uh, in your different jurisdictions between the types of regulations. So like a, a security plan for an Illinois dispensary might be, you know, $80,000, but the same security plan in a Michigan dispensary might be 50000 Ted, you want to take that? Well, one of the things we look at doing is, again, if it has the state requirements, we go above and beyond what the state requires. Uh, what a lot of states are doing is they're going to states that have already opened up, that are already running successful, and they will look at those regulations and say, hey, you know what, this will work here, this will work there. Um, it's not so much a price gap for states. It's, I, I think the biggest price gap is, is this a competitive licensing process or not? Like Michigan is not a competitive licensing process where Pennsylvania was. So, you know, I'm I'm a, uh, I'm a disabled veteran, and for the diversity aspects of the applications, they can bring me on as their director of security on the application, which helps them on the diversity aspect of things as well in the competitive process. Uh, the fact that they contracted with either myself or with, with Jim for a veteran-owned or woman-owned company on the diversity aspect of the application helps. But the big thing is, in Michigan, I could do as many security plans as I want. When they did Pennsylvania, it was split up into six different zones. I would only pick one from each zone in the state of Pennsylvania. That way I wasn't competing against myself uh, in a security plan, and it wouldn't have been fair to the client either. I've had clients offer me large amounts of money to just do them exclusively statewide, zone-wide, uh, half the statewide, whatever the case may be. But, you know, as a rule, you don't want to compete against yourself because, number one, it's not the right thing to do to the client, um, especially in a, in a competitive process. So I think the competitive process is what changes, you know, how much the plan is going to cost rather than the size of the facility or the number of the facilities. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the regulations do change, but then no matter what state you're in, you are going to deal with regulation. And so you have to look at it and see what the specifications are because they're there and then you have to build toward them. And the, the ones in Illinois are somewhat similar, it sounds like, to the ones in Pennsylvania. And so when I'm you know advising the clients on that, I'm like, all right, well, these are the specs and, and this is what it says that you have to have. So if you don't have this, you're not going to get the license. So you put that into the application and then they need to understand the price beyond the application. It's like, OK, and then you're going to win. And then these these monies need to then go and, and, and you have to build this thing out and get ready for it to be open and operating. So it's uh, it's a, an endeavor that you shouldn't just 
think, you know, one day like when you're smoking weed in the basement, like, oh, I, I'm good at growing this. I should be able to do it. Eh, fine. You can do it. But it's a lot more expensive and cumbersome than you may realize. Tom, the amount of tire kicker, we call them tire kickers. The amount of tire kickers we get coming to us, um, I want to open or I want to open a dispensary in Pennsylvania. I, I mean, nobody does the research to find out. There's not even an open application process um, in Pennsylvania. You know, similar to what you, you know, you as an attorney charge an hourly fee. You know, the response is, well, we'd be happy to help you start that, you know, prepare for that next application fee at $300 an hour. And then they go off the chat and you don't, you don't hear from them again when there's, when there's real costs associated with the consulting aspect. Everybody wants everything for free. Um, and they don't realize that, you know, this is a serious business. Um, it's regulated. And um, highly regulated. It's and that's the thing that I try to impress upon them. I'm like, I realize you can grow this in your basement, and and then at the at its core, it's a very cash only, easy to conceive of business. But when you're doing it from the license, you own the license aspect. It is exceedingly more regulated than that, and so I just think that that's that logical gap is there for most people, and that must be why the tire kicker ratio is so high in the industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I imagine people probably forget about like <clears throat> there's compliance, so you have to be in compliance with so many different things. Like one would be security, the other would be like uh, 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 the grow itself. But being that you're specialized in security, like um, code for like uh, the protecting the software, it has to meet some sort of ISO bare requirement, just like your uh, your cameras and all the other things you do. We have a, a, a one of the somebody watching here. Uh, she says, uh, I know C plus or he, my bad. I don't know. Uh, they net programming was JavaScript and no, they're having a hard time in the canvas industry though, trying to find a job in the industry. I always think that most things are lateral, just like Ted, you know, you used to be a, a military and uh, law enforcement. Now you're working in security. You know, there's always a lateral position. Jim, do you guys hire like coders and stuff like that? We don't, I mean, there's not a, so coding would be more of, developing custom applications, you know, for somebody's business. And, you know, there's a lot of out of, out of the box, you know, solutions that are available. Like, you know, one of the most important things is seed to sale software, right? I mean, you know, yeah, that, the MJM Freeway, you know, it's, company out there, that's a big company in that space. Pennsylvania, because yeah, Illinois is, um, uh, come on, Biotrack THC. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay. So, you know, you have those you have those applications and they're, you know, they're web based applications that these companies are using. So I don't see a lot of programming um, need. And in our business and security, we're, we're not we're not doing any you know programming per se. We're you know, we're providing our clients, you know, best of breed security, whether it's physical security, you know, cameras and door access control, um, you know, to, you know, safes and vaults and, you know, things of that nature. There's not really. So what is door access control? Let's dig into that concept because that's something that people don't, I think, understand. I think when they think about going to the dispensary, it's just like going regularly to work. No, no, like everybody has door access control and everybody needs to be given permission from the state to be able to have one of those cards to swipe in or swipe out. Yep. And everything is tracked because, as you said, internal theft may happen. So uh, what type of door access control systems and regulations uh, does your average dispensary need? 
So um, we represent a company called Brevo um, Networks, and they're they're a sister company to a company called Eagle Eye um, Eagle Eye Networks, which is um, a video um, surveillance storage company, cloud um, storage company. And Brevo's um, again is a cloud based um, door access control um, um, company. So once again very limited hardware that you would have to have on site at your facility and something less, you you know, more importantly, that you don't have to manage, right? So especially, like I said earlier, these companies, these dispensaries, they don't have an IT staff. So, you know, they're very limited. Um, so we, you know, every door, you know, whether it's um, going into the product room, um, you know, where, where the product's being stored, you know the back door. Every every door really needs to have access, has to have some kind of door access control in it. And then managing those people that have that access is very important. And you know you can do it obviously through the web client. Um, you know to manage your but high turnover in this industry, right? So how long does a bud tender last? Seriously, how long is a bud tender employed for? A year. <laughs> a year, right? So yeah, there you go. You're going to have to be turning these people on and off. So like, because you have to restrict their access control. They cannot have that key anymore. I mean, there are just very specific stringent regulations in this industry. Yep. So that, I mean, think about the theft risk. Think about the theft risk. If you would allow them to have access to that for even a second after they're no longer your employee. Yep. Wait, as you talked about door access, even before the door, do you guys uh, do like uh, background checks? I know in Colorado, the bud tender system was very, deep into the background check. I think you couldn't even have it, have it been arrest for cannabis, but do you guys do that as well? We, we, we don't. We have a third party we work with that does background checks. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can, we can help a client with that, um, you know, as they're hiring, firing employees. Um, I imagine you guys offer a package, right? Because you want to help throughout the, the states, whole process. The states, like, you know, so when the, the, the company hires the, the bud tender, for example, then the, that, that offer is probably contingent upon the passage of the state's background check. This because the state has to issue them the, the card before that they would hit and get key card access for the, uh, for, to even have the card. Yeah. But like yeah, the, the various background checks that each state has, they, they, they change. But I don't know of any state. And correct me. I mean, like maybe Oklahoma. Uh, that you you don't need some type of background check from the state to be able to have a license card to be able to either you know um, uh, sell the product or or cultivate the product. I, yeah, as far as you know, Oklahoma is concerned. Um, I'm not sure about what their you know what their regulations are around background checks, but. Yeah, I mean, Tom, you hit the nail on it. Every state's different. You know, just like, you know, the applic every application's different for each state. Same thing goes with, you know, the background checks. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't want to be hiring criminals when you have a room that's your cash room. <laughs> so, right. you know, yeah. Well, here's, here's a big thing, too. I was actually brought in by a group in Ohio uh, to do their security plan and consult with them. Now, you know, it, it takes a lot of time, and, and I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one time when I work with clients. So, obviously, if you have a bad background yourself and you're trying to open one of these facilities, you won't be able to do it. Um, I actually ran a background check on the principals 
of this group that wanted to bring me in and found out that two out of the four in this conglomerate had a background that would not permit them to gain a license. I then told them about this and I said, listen, you know, I appreciate that you guys wanted to bring me in, but uh, I can't do it. I can't dedicate my time to this when you're not going to get a license uh, due to the stuff in your criminal background. Um, you know, and I think that's a lot of thing that even the principals uh, need to understand when they go to apply for a license for this place. If you have something in your background that's going to preclude you from gaining a license, you might want to run a background on yourself first to consider that um, before moving forward with any type of licensing application. Oh, absolutely. Because like th that's happened before where I'll find out about uh, additional charges like later. You're like, I wonder if not this charge. And I'm like, first I've heard of this. What? Uh, uh, and so, yeah, it's it's quite true. And then I do like the, the rehabilitation aspect of Illinois law. And it might be replicated in other uh, new emerging states. It wouldn't surprise me if this social equity is built into it. So there might be a classification and a preference for what type of arrest were you, uh, you know, what, what type of arrest was it in your past? Some might be uh, less, uh, you know, less onerous than others. There's certain ones that I've always seen that always preclude you. And those ones are usually crimes of violence. But then, or, or theft, like, you know, dishonesty, those types, because then it affects the trust angle. And so if you're, if you have a theft out there, that's going to be a little bit more difficult than if you just have uh, a drug offense where you were arrested for a pound of weed, for example, that would qualify you as a social equity applicant if it was just for pure possession. So uh, what type of, of background check and what type of offense or something you should probably be looking into? Yeah, I mean, you know, New Jersey went through that when they were uh, trying to get recreational and go through the legislator, um, legislature there. They that was one of the sticking points was the expungement uh, part of of that, um, and um, you know it didn't fly, right? So now it's it's a uh, it's a ballot question, it's a referendum question that's on the uh, November um, ballot, um, and leaving it up to voters to decide. But the legislator cannot get it done, and that was one of the sticking points. Hmm, that's awesome. Hey, one of the things that I'm really interested in is the Pennsylvania uh, aspect that they have because the SB 350, may pass, may not pass, has a really cool license type in it called the micro grower license. Uh, how familiar are you with uh, where Pennsylvania stands on its efforts to legalize? So um, I'm, I'm really, you know, close with a lot of uh, state um, elected officials. Um, and, you know, Pennsylvania has a $5 billion uh, budget deficit hole that they need to fill. And, you know, if you look at the makeup of the state legislature um, for Pennsylvania, it's, it's a very conservative legislator, both in the House and the Senate. And uh, my contacts are telling me that they're really turning the tide on that. Um, and the legislators are, are, are really, the conservative ones are realizing, hey, we got to do something. And, you know, Republicans typically take this approach of we don't raise taxes, right? So if they can get it through this and the medicinal program has been a successful program and if they can expand it, it can certainly help plug that budget um, hole. The governor has called for it, um, uh, recreational. The lieutenant governor has gone around the state um, to different counties. Um, 
getting the voice of the of the electorate. And um, so we'll see what happens. I, I think we're honestly about a year or two years away from um, from wreck happening in Pennsylvania. And there's no more new rounds of applications for the medicinal, um, you know, for the grow um, right now. So it's kind of at a, you know, at a yeah. scale um, right now where there's nothing happening. Yeah, that's how Illinois was for so very, very long. But I really hope that you guys open it up so it's more of a Michigan, Oklahoma style with that uh, micro grower license as the entry level for the cultivation. And think about trying to create some type of uh, SOPs for their security plan, because if you're gonna be protecting 150 plants, uh, it's a different risk or threat level than if you're gonna be trying to protect a thousand, or if you're trying to protect right. like retail aspect with the actual cash. Yeah. And that's the other thing, like if you have one of these, there might be cash requirements where it's like, no, if you're operating this, you can't have more than $20,000 on your you know, property. That's get it off, you know, yeah. something like that. Where if you have that type of license, because that's really the theft risk that you have is cash, something as good as cash. Yep. Yeah. Damn. What a, oh, hey. Man. Oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry, did I interrupt you? No, you're good. Oh, by the way, saw your podcast, Chill Noise. Outstanding. Oh, thank you. I was really nervous <laughs> about that. But uh, Jim, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Uh, where can we go to find or follow what you guys got going on at Canna Be Secure? Yep. So it's um, you can find us at uh, you know on the web at, at Canna Be Secure. That's C A N N A B E Secure. Um, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook um, as well. And guys, it was a pleasure. We really appreciate you um, shedding, you know, allowing us to shed some light on the security aspects of this business and how important it is. And um, we'll love to be on again if you guys uh, want to have us on again. Absolutely. Thanks again. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. And tune in this Sunday for Ed Rosenthal. We're going to have a great discussion. Uh, oh, see wait, you. Oh. wait a minute. I, I forgot to tell everybody, when you get your, your state of Illinois exhibits uh, in, in your rescore, I want you to make sure that you use two forms of ID, not just one. Because <laughs> if you don't use two forms, they're going to use it against you. And so uh, best of luck with your rescores, everybody. Good advice. Yeah. See you on Sunday. Thanks.